Well, we are in uh, week uh, two of a six-week series. We're just going to look at just the first couple chapters in the letter of 1 Corinthians. It's in a library we call the Bible, and there are different sections to this library. It's not set up chronologically. It's set up by type of book. And so in the New Testament, you have the historical section, and then 1 Corinthians is in the, the letter section. And so that's where we're going to be today. And we last week, if you missed it, you can go online to bridgewater.church and uh, listen in. I uh, gave a lot of background about um, this city in Corinth, Greece. The Bible is not a, a book written about holy people who lived in a holy time in holy places. It's a book written about real people who lived in a real life place in the real world, which means that they, they were very much less than holy. And so the Corinthian church was really messed up. And Paul uh, spends 16 chapters talking about all the different, addressing different problems in the church. And these are things that can be helpful to us as well, because uh, as we looked at last week, we need to understand God's grace in our lives. And that is God's undeserved generosity to us, because if we don't think we're messed up, if we don't think we've been forgiven much, then we're not going to love very much either. And, and so just, that's just so important. So he starts talking about God's grace, and then he gets into um, one of the most important thing is, um, topics of the book. And I almost forgot, before we get into that, I got to mention this little guy. So this is Callum Pusser, our pastor um, in Matt Pusser over in Halstead, and his wife Olivia. They just had this uh, little baby boy this last week, so that's number two for them, if you're keeping score. I have four, I'm winning. But actually, yeah, so, and actually be praying for um, Tim Sullivan. He's uh, our campus pastor over in Conklin and his wife, Shana, they're expecting as well in March. And uh, their baby is sideways. So I can't remember if it's a boy or a girl, not sure if they know, but just pray that he or she stop being stubborn and put the head down. And, um, and just, just, you know, it, it, is, it is so cool. And this goes to, um, I'm going to talk about what unity is not. And unity is not uniformity. And I'm so thankful, even just thinking of the worship team up here, you have men and women, you have teenagers, 20s, 30s. I don't know if there are any 40s, maybe 40s, 50s, and 60s. Okay, and we didn't have like, you know, a qu quota that we needed to fill to have different age groups. But with the pastors, it's the same way. We have pastors in their 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s, and I think we got a guy in his 60s too now, but I'm, now I'm afraid of, to say that. <laughs> but I'll pick on him on Monday when I see him. But anyway, so, and, and again, that's, that's not because we had this plan to set out to do that. It's just this is the team that God has brought together, and, and it's a team of diversity in age, in background, and things like that. So, um, here's what we're going to talk about. This is the first four chapters of the letter of 1 Corinthians addresses the issue of unity. And of all the problems in the Corinthian church, people getting drunk during communion, um, all sorts of sexual dysfunction, it's interesting that he spends more time on unity than on any other subject except for their worship services, which were a mess. Um, and they, they, he spends equal amounts of time, four chapters on worship services, four chapters on unity, and he tackles unity first. Honestly, if I was writing this book, I would have tackled the, the guy sleeping with his stepmom 
You know, that would have been first. I'm like, what are you thinking? Why are you encouraging this? Why aren't you confronting this guy? This is wrong. But, but Paul decides under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that, you know what, what I need to talk about first and what I need to talk about just as much, if not more than everything else, is unity. And that tells me that unity in the church is maybe more important than I think it is. And maybe more important than you think it might be. And, and this perhaps is why, because a divided church is an unhealthy church. And I've seen divided churches, and I've been in divided church business meetings, and it is unhealthy. And a divided, unhealthy church is a dying church. And therefore, the church might, must fight for unity. I've never heard of a growing, healthy, vibrant church that was divided and fighting and, and at each other's throats. And so, so this is really true. And so we're going to dive into the first chapter of 1 Corinthians and see what, what he says about unity. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. And, and I'm just going to stop right there and just ask the question, how do we do that? Because that is a high standard. All of us, perfectly united in mind and thought, that, that, that's a lot of unity. And our unity comes from, unity comes from, you can only unite if there's something greater than you that unites you. Right? So, so I, I, and so that's what we have to do. And so there's a couple things that unity is not. Um, Paul, Paul is not saying that we need to be all uniform, right? And, and God has created humanity and this world with incredible diversity where we're not the same. And, and there's young and old in the church of Corinth and in our, in our church. There's different races in that church. They had Greeks and Romans and Jews and probably other, other, other ethnicities as well. And uh, black and white wasn't a thing back then. That really wasn't important. Jewish or non-Jewish, that was important. And, and there wasn't uniformity in this church. And there, there was just, just a, and, and that's true today. In fact, I think one of the things that this world gets wrong is genders. Men and women are different. And that's not bad. That's a wonderful thing. We compliment each other. We need to stop telling women they need to be more like men. We need to stop telling men they need to be more like women because the unity does not mean we're all exactly the same. And he goes into the church and he says, man, some of you had different gifts and, and that's good. And we don't all have the same gift and that's good. And stop turning to the guy next to you. My gift's better than your gift. You know, he says, no, no, no. We're, you know, some per, one person's a mouth, another's a hand, another's an eye, another's a foot, and all these different functions work together like a body. And so real unity is not uniformity. Real unity does not avoid issues. At the end of the book, he says, some of you aren't believing in a resurrection. We're, we're, he's not saying, you know what, for the sake of unity, I'm not going to talk about the resurrection. No, he says, hey, this is something, this is a dividing line of faith. If you don't believe in the resurrection, man, you are hopeless, without hope. You, you believe that we're a bunch of liars because we say that Jesus rose from the dead, and if he didn't rise, we're a bunch of liars. And, we're, and he's, he's not avoiding issues for the sake of unity and, and uh, claiming some kind of unity with the lowest common denominator. Um, so that's not what unity is, and it's not overlooking sin. In chapter 5, for the sake of unity, he says, kick that guy out of the church. 
because we are not unified by uh, you know, some lowest common denominator. We're unified by the cross, by Jesus Christ, and by his word right here. And, and, if, and if you don't want to obey this, and if you don't want to believe this, that's fine. But then we cannot be united because this is what unites us. And so, so real unity is not that. What is real unity? If you're ever not sure about what the Bible means, just keep reading. Sometimes it explains itself. He says, my brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. Chloe back then, like today, is a, is a woman's name. And so this woman's household, that might mean her extended family. It might mean her servants, if she, she, she was prop, probably wealthy. Some people believe that there was a house church that met in Chloe's home. And so talking about, so they did church different back then. They did not have any buildings. And for the first 300 years of the church, there were times when being a Christian was illegal. And so they didn't have buildings because those buildings could be confiscated and taken or burned to the ground because Christianity many times was illegal. So they met in people's homes. And sometimes in chapter 14, I think it's verse 23, he says, uh, if the whole church comes together, and then he gives some instruction, which you can kind of read between the lines and realize that many times the whole church didn't come together, but sometimes the whole church did come together. All these different um, groups that met in separate homes that were part of the church in Corinth occasionally all met together maybe in a public outdoor area. And, and so maybe Chloe's household was, we, we don't know, but, but Paul is writing this from Ephesus, which is modern day Turkey. It's 300 miles from Corinth on the other side of the Aegean Sea. It'd be several days or a week to get there by boat. It would be probably a month to go the long way around by land. And, and so somehow though, someone from Corinth, some people, several people from Corinth had come to where Paul was in Ephesus and are giving him an inside scoop of what's going on. And they're saying, man, that church, they are a mess. And, and among other things, they're, they're divided and, and quarreling and fighting amongst each other. And he goes on to explain, what I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Paul started the church. He's the one writing this letter. Another, I follow Apollos. Apollos and Paul were good friends. Apollos got saved actually through some, some people that Paul ministered with, Aquila and Priscilla. And Apollos was from Alexandria, Egypt, which had the greatest library in the ancient world. And he was uh, apparently a very eloquent speaker. Paul was very bold, but not so eloquent. But man, Apollos, he had a golden tongue. And so some were like, man, yeah, Paul, he started things out well, but Apollos, man, we're Apollos Christians. Because he's like, remember how great he spoke? And then others say, I follow Cephas. And Cephas is the Aramaic name for Peter. Peter is his Greek name. And, and so some of them, maybe these were Jews, and some believe Peter... He would travel around with his wife and visit churches. Some believe he visited the church in Corinth. Or if he didn't, then they just knew about him. If they were Jews especially, you know, maybe he was their guy. And they're like, we're Peter Christians. Isn't that crazy? Who would do that today? Call themselves like Lutherans after some guy. Call themselves, you know, uh, um, boy, who's the other one I had? Oh, well. Anyway. Baptist after Mr. Baptist. <laughs> well, anyway, but yeah, and, and so um, um, anyway, so he said, 
he goes on. Let's, let's keep moving. Is, is Christ divided? I'm not against Lutherans. Okay, there is a, there is a um, we, we do divide Christianity with, with labels, and those labels are shorthand for very long explanations of what people believe. And uh, I, I'll talk about this a little bit more later, but um, maybe I'll talk about it now. That that's not a bad thing. That there is room in Christianity. There are some things the Bible is clear on, and we need to be united about. There are some things the Bible is not crystal clear on, and we need to have conversations about it. But we need to treat those things differently. And so some of the divisions in Christianity are not necessarily bad, um, and um, and then some are. But um, he says, "Is Christ divided?" Was Paul crucified for you? He's like, you're saying some of you are, you're of, of me? He's like, let me tell you, I, I, I'm with Jesus. Don't, don't be on my side. In fact, Casting Crowns sang, sang a great song. He says, I don't want to leave a legacy. I don't care if they remember me, only Jesus. That is a great sentiment. You know, who cares if anybody remembers Bridgewater or if anybody realized that we're secretly Baptists I know that might come as a blow to some of you. You're like, what? I'm in a what kind of church? Oh, I hate them, you know, and whatever, but sorry. Um, but he says, were you baptizing? He says, this, it's not about me, it's about Jesus. And he goes on about this whole, he says, were you baptized in the name of Paul? I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried in the name of Bob Kedlisic, right, raised, right, no. He says, no, you weren't buried, you weren't baptized in my name, in Paul's name. He says, I thank God I didn't baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius so that none of you can say you were baptized in my name. This is interesting that Paul didn't baptize many people. It's also interesting what happens next is he says, oh yeah, I forgot. So at the beginning of the letter, he says, Paul, he introduces who's writing, Paul and Sosthenes. And I think this is a point where I don't know, maybe it just occurred to Paul, oh, whoops, I I don't want you to scribble that out. Just add this, Sosthenes. Or Sosthenes might have said, um, Paul, you also baptized the whole household of Stephanus. Oh, yeah. Okay, we'll write this. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. This encourages me because a number of years ago, um, a number of years ago, there's a man in the church, and I don't see him right now. His name's Joe which narrows it down. There's only like 20 Joes in our church. But, um, and I went up to him, and it was after we made the move here, and I said to him, Joe, when are you going to get baptized? You need to take that step. And he turned to me and he said, I've already been baptized. I'm like, you have? When? He's like, a couple years ago, and you were the one who baptized me. <laughs> I'm like, ah. Sometimes this is what keeps me up at night, you know. I just can't get my foot out of my mouth. And, uh, and I'm like, I am so glad. I am so sorry. I am an idiot. So it's nice that Paul struggled with that a little bit himself. Um, so, so, but he's saying, you know, it's, it's not about me, and it's not about who I baptized or, or what I did. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. That means the good news about our forgiveness through Jesus Christ, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. In fact, Paul is saying here, I'm sure Paul wished he was a better preacher, right? But he said, you know what? 
maybe it's good that I'm not as eloquent as Apollos because it's not about me. It's not about eloquence. You know, I want to be a great preacher. And I want our music to be awesome. But this is not about great preaching or music. This is about God's word. This is about the cross. This is about Jesus Christ, forgiveness through him, faith alone, God's word alone. Like that, That's what this is about. It's not about all these other things. And so here's the question, and this is what I want to spend the rest of the message on, is, is so Paul says we need to be perfectly united, all of us, in mind and thought, and how do we do that? And so one of the ways that we do that is real unity. If you want to fight for unity, you fight for unity by graciously disagreeing with people. And Paul here disagrees with the church of Corinth for 16 chapters, okay? But he is so gracious. He doesn't say, I can't believe you are such idiots. Like, he doesn't say it that way. He says, hey, here's something that came to my attention and, and this is what you need to do. And, and one issue after another issue after another issue, he patiently and graciously disagrees with them. And then this is what I was talking about a little bit before, but we need to divide over essentials, but dialogue over what's important. And so what were essential things? Well, the resurrection is essential, right? And, and so these men going and visiting prostitutes in the city, that's wrong also. That is an essential thing. Essentials in the Christian faith cover what we believe and also how we behave. And so both of those things can be essential and need to not be swept under the rug and say, ah, well, it's okay if you live that way. It's okay if you believe that way. No, essential things are the dividing line. This is what unites us and this is what divides us. I mean, in several chapters, he says, if this guy is not going to be united under the truth of God's word and, on, and, and following Jesus sexually, then you need to kick him out of the church. And, and so it divides over essential, but, but dialogues over what's important. There is an issue in Corinth about what do you do about meat sacrifice to idols? And so people would maybe give uh, you know, their cow as an offering to Zeus or they would give something to, to uh, the Aphrodite temple. And, and so these priests and priestesses, a lot of times they had more meat than they could eat. And so they would turn around and they'd have someone who'd go to the market and sell meat sacrificed and given to Zeus or Apollo or whoever. And, and a lot of Christians were like, you can't buy that meat. And some of the problem was there was so much of that that maybe it was hard to even buy meat. And others, other Christians are like, what do you mean I can't buy that meat? There's no such thing as Zeus. He doesn't exist. He was totally made up. Like, so I'm going to eat meat offered to Zeus. It's like I'm eating meat offered to, you know, yeah, Bugs Bunny. Exactly. Winnie the Pooh. Like, these, these, these things, these gods don't actually exist, so there's nothing wrong with me eating it. And others of them were like, are you kidding me? That's what I used to do. And, and Zeus had a power. I had a fear of him in my life. And, and I can't go back to that and do that. And so Paul says, you know what? This is, this is a good thing we need to dialogue about. This is important. But let's talk about it. And different Christians can, can, by their conscience, act different ways and believe different things. And it's okay. And so I, I just want to talk a little bit about that. There are, there are churches in this community. And if you're watching online in your community as well, um, there are churches that uh, are different from us in essential ways. 
and we need to divide from them. And I've shared this with some of you, and, and over the 15, 16 years I've been a pastor here, some of these pastors aren't in the area anymore, so don't try to figure it out because I don't want to, like, you know, pick on people specifically, but I have talked with pastors in this area who don't believe in any of the miracles of the Bible except the resurrection. And I asked that individual, why do you believe in the resurrection? Because I feel it probably happened. I'm like, so you're basing your faith on a feeling. Yep. And went on to say, there are pastors in my denomination that don't even believe in the resurrection. And another pastor, different one, laughed at me in the face when I said I believe that Jonah literally was swallowed by some great creature and lived in the belly of this ocean creature for three days until it vomited onto the ground. He said, that's impossible. I'm like, that's what miracles are. <laughs> and he's like, you can't tell me you believe that actually happened. I'm like, I'll tell you something else that I believe actually happened. Jesus died and was buried in the grave for three days and then came back to life. And that's impossible. Like what, you know, but doesn't another pastor said, I definitely don't believe in hell and I'm not sure heaven exists either. These are pastors. And so there are, man, we need to divide over that. But then there are other churches that are actually exactly like us. And we can do things together. Forest Lake Baptist Church, exactly like us as far as beliefs. And so we can say, hey, together, let's help CareNet start a new site over in Forest City. And they're providing the labor and some of the money, and we provide the rest of the money. And, and I talk with Pastor Ken Young, and we pray together sometimes. And we, you know, because we're, we're one church, in fact, you know, they have people from Forest Lake that have come here. We have people from here that have gone to Forest Lake, and it's okay. And then there are churches that are a little bit different. Elisha's home. Elisha's home, the, the Fords and the um, Obermillers, godly people leading that church, they're different from us. They believe some things differently about charismatic gifts and sign gifts and things like that. But, but you know what? They... These are things that are unclear in the Bible. And you might say, well, how do I know what's unclear and debate and, and then what's essential? How do I know the difference? The only way to know is that you got to know God's word. And, that, and you're not going to know God's word from just listening to a 35-minute message explaining God's word once a week. Okay, you got to read it on your own. And it is hard and lots of it doesn't make sense. This is where small groups come in because it's a great place to take your questions to that group and say, man, I was reading about Paul writing about that's why we baptize for the dead. What in the world is that about? And you can have your small group leader answer that because <laughs> it's too hard for me to answer. <laughs> um, but, you know, and, and, and so that, that's the only way you know. Another great church in this area, Silver Lake Presbyterian Church. Okay, they're not part of the PCUSA. Here's some of their history. The, the chairman of our deacon board at Bridgewater Church, um, Deacon Ken Garnsey, left Bridgewater Church and became a pastor at Silver Lake Presbyterian. And, and then more recently, Pastor Rosencrantz there, his son, Jason, goes to Halstead, Bridgewater Halstead, and they didn't have family feuds over it. And you know what? There's a difference, and if we all went to Silver Lake Presbyterian and were in that service, some of you might say, I don't like it. And if they came here, I bet they would say, I don't like it. <laughs> but so there's, and there's differences about who Israel is and all these other, but, but, but at the essential belief level, they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
and they're part of the family. We used to do VBS with the Montrose Bible Church. And, and one of the questions came up, well, if there's a new person who doesn't go to our church and doesn't go to their church, where are they going to go if they come to a group VBS? And you know what the answer was? Wherever they want. We don't care. We don't care. Go there. Come here. We don't, we don't care. Because there are brothers and sisters in Christ. When we, in 2014, First Baptist Church of Tunkhannock uh, closed down. They were very small. They'd gone through some real struggles and, and things. And, and they said, we just can't keep going. We're going to close down. And they gave us their building. And we said, we can't promise you that we're going to start a, a church in this building, but we would like to. And so no promises, but we'd like to. Two years later, we started Bridgewater Tunkanic. Now over 200, 250 people meet there every week from an empty building to 250. But before we did that, between 2014 and 2016, I met with a local pastor down there. And he was a, a new pastor, his first pastorate, and he was... He, he, he was offended. Why would you come? Because from his perspective, it was like us saying to him, you're not doing it right. You're not reaching Tunkhannock, so we got to come down and, and show you and fix it and start a church a couple blocks from your church. And so he, he was very hurt by that. And, and talking to him, I said, now, First Baptist in Tunkhannock, was here almost 100 years before your church started. Do you think it was bad that someone started your church? He's like, no, I don't think it's bad. And I said, I don't either. Because right now, First Baptist in Tunkhannock is closed. I'm glad that you, that you there's a church here. right? But, but here's the thing. Um, there are 15,600 people who don't go to any church in Wyoming County. And, and Wyoming County is not very big, but I would be willing to bet within a five-mile radius of where we stand, there's 15,600 people at least that don't go to any church. Here's the thing. We'll go after the 600, and you can have the other 16,000. You know, because that, that's, that's what we're about, right? We're, we're not, there are plenty of pagans to go around, right? There are plenty of people who aren't following Jesus you know, that, that you, know, you, know, you, can, you can take 16,000 of them. We don't care, you know, and we'll just reach 500 or whatever. And, and we haven't even reached that, right? And, and so just realizing that, that we are all, in fact, if someone goes to another area, and this is where, who are you following? If I were to leave this church and go to another church, uh, next Sunday, announce it. Would you stop coming? What if on Monday I overdose on meth and you find out that my entire life was all a lie? Would you stop following Jesus? Yeah, I mean, the truth is I'm not a meth addict and I'm, <laughs> I'm not planning on leaving this church anytime soon, but who are you following? And if you move here and go somewhere else, Sometimes people, I'll, I'll talk to them and they'll say, I just can't find a church like Bridgewater. And I'm like, that, that is not the goal. The goal is to find a church that's following Jesus Christ so that you can follow Jesus Christ. And, and how, how you are not following Jesus if you move out of here and you can't find a church like Bridgewater, so you're not going to go to church. Who are you following, Bridgewater? 
here's what I do if you ever move away. I've done this for other people. Um, I, I will call a church. I'll look it up online and, and try to find, you know, a church that looks half decent, has a good statement of faith, and maybe, you know, are doing something in the community. And I give them a call. If they don't answer the phone, if they don't return my call, they're not a good church. Um, <laughs> so there's a little, you know, weeding out that way. But generally, they, they answer the phone, and, um, and, and I ask them this question. Tell me two or three churches in your area that I can recommend to a friend. Um, you know, and, and sometimes they're set back, but most of the time, and I don't know if I'm lucky or what, but most of the time, the churches I call, they're like, let me tell you, yeah, there's, there's Canaan Bible, there's, you know, whatever community, there's what, you know, and, and it's a great church, and, and, you know, first we have a discussion of what kind of person they are and what kind of church they're looking for, because in this area, if you like the King James Version and you like dressing up in a suit, you need to go to Stanfordville Baptist. I mean, that would be a great church for you, you know, and, and different churches have different flavors, you know, and so, and, and then, and then if, if they recommend another church, you know who I'm recommending? I'm recommending them too, because that means they're not themselves focused, and they're not so arrogant to think that they're the only ones. In fact, that's another mark of, of unity. You walk in humility, and to realize that maybe Maybe there's a better way of doing this. Maybe I don't have a corner on the market of truth. Maybe, maybe I, 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 it's, it's not about me. And churches that respond like that, I'm like, that's a good church. Because they don't care where you go as long as it's a church that's teaching God's word. And not all of them do. But many of them do. And so real unity needs to do that. I've, I've found this um, doesn't, um, let me see. I found that if, um, when there isn't, so inward focused churches almost always are inward fighting. Give them enough time and an inward focused churches, church will fight because it's part of human nature. Fighting, if, if you don't see an enemy, you will make one up. Um, what if there was 150,000 Russian troops 30 miles from here on our border? If there's 150,000 Russian troops on our border doing military exercises, I don't think we'd be calling PennDOT up and complaining about the pothole outside our, our house, right? I, I don't think we'd be going to basketball games and swearing at and getting all upset about the bad calls the ref is making because there's a real enemy 30 miles away, 150,000 troops, and, and a, a week from now, my kids might be dead. Nothing helps people unite than realizing and seeing the real enemy. And churches, that's why we need to be outward focused and, and I just want to tell a story about Linda and Dave Kuhn, and I've talked about them before, but they were in the church that I grew up in, and then I was a pastor there for nine years um, when I was in my 20s and early 30s. And, and Linda was a petty, small-minded woman. Okay, I love her to death, but that's who she was. Heaven help you if you took a chair out of her ladies' Sunday school class. Even if you replaced it with another chair. 
It had to be those chairs, okay? They'd been in there for I don't know how many decades, and they were their chairs, okay? And so just that kind of thing, you know? And just, and then she changed, and what changed her was she and her husband Dave started doing a Bible study with their neighbors next door, Jen and Frank. And Jen and Frank had real problems. And Frank was an alcoholic, and Jen's dad, Paul, was a piece of work, and, and, and little Frankie had mental problems, and, and, and there was such brokenness in that family. All of a sudden, Linda was no longer a petty, small-minded woman because she came face-to-face with a real enemy. And her husband would get up at 4.30 in the morning to pray and memorize Scripture for an hour before he'd go to work. And he'd pray for Frank that he'd stop drinking. And he'd pray for little Frankie that, that he'd, he'd learn to read. And they'd pray for Jen who was caught between a rock and a hard place. And, and, and they brought them to church because they didn't have a vehicle. And, and, and they just got neck deep in real problems, fighting the real enemy. And, and they became a joy to pastor. And they became actually joyful people because then they saw God changing the lives of their neighbors and working and they had something that, that, that you know, to really fight for. And, and that's how we need to be. You know, if you're all upset about, well, here's some questions I want you to, to just ask yourselves before you go. And what, why fight for unity? Let me hit this real quick because Jesus commanded and non-Christians judge us by it and they should. Because here's what Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Were the people that Jesus loved, these disciples he loved, were they faithful to him? No, they were just about to abandon him when he tells them this. At one point, he had to say to Peter, get behind me, Satan, for you do not have in mind the things of God. Okay, but he loved them anyway. And the church, we, we idolize the church of the first century. We think, oh, I wish there weren't hypocrites. You know, I wish it was like the first century when there weren't so many hypocrites in the church like there are now. Newsflash, read 1 Corinthians. <laughs> you know, but he says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another by this. Everyone will know, believers and unbelievers will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Here's some questions. Is there any Christian from this church or another church who needs to know you're for them and not against them? So sometimes you cannot mend a broken relationship. That takes two sides. And some of you have done everything you can to try to mend it, and you just can't. But I just, I just want to make sure, and you need to make sure, that they know that you're for them. And maybe that's through writing a letter because it's a one-way thing and you won't get in an argument. And it takes time. Don't do an email because someone can have keyboard courage and send one back. No, write a letter, put a stamp on it, put it in the mail and say, I want you to know I pray for you. I am for you. I want God to bless you. You are a brother in Christ. You are a sister in Christ. And I love you. And don't get into, eh, even though we had all those disagreements and I can't believe you said this. No, just, just let someone know you're for them. Number two, Have you made something that should be secondary a primary thing in your life? You know, and and just arguing about things that the Bible's not clear about or that the Bible doesn't talk about at all. 
you know, don't you ever make fun of churches that have organ and piano only in their services? How backwards, how ancient, man, they need to get into the 19th century or whatever. That's wrong. You know, it's, it's okay to be different. It's okay to worship God in different ways. We're not better. We're just different. You know, and don't, don't make something that should be secondary a primary thing. Are, are you in conflict with another believer over a secondary matter? And can you resolve it? Again, at least your side of it. And are you speaking well of others when they make decisions you disagree with? And that might be true about a pastor. That might be true even outside of the church in the community. Are, are you upset about someone who made a decision and it's not a biblical yes or no decision? Like a referee making a call at a game. We should be known as the most loving fans in the community. And maybe a teacher at school that's not doing things exactly how you would want. But as long as they're not telling your child to do something sinful, you know what? Let's, let's, let's be kind. Let's be generous. Let's, be, let's, let's, let's have, show some unity and graciousness. Heavenly Father, I just thank you um, for this challenge to us, and it is a hard one. Lord, help us to be united throughout Bridgewater. I just thank you that, you know, you, that, that we have a bunch of different pastors with a bunch of different backgrounds in two different states, and I, I just thank you that we can still be one church. And even beyond that, God, I just praise you for South New Milford Baptist Church. What, a, what an awesome church. I thank you for Jim Mattis at Kingsley Community Church. What, what, a, what a man of God. Bless him. Bless their ministry. I think of Alex Vosberg at Brushville Baptist. God, he, just, he has been faithful. Lord, I just pray that you would bless him, bless his family. Lord, may, may you, you bring pastors out of his family and out of that church to, to go on and and do other things for you in the years and decades to come. And God, there's so many other churches that I, I can't even mention them all. I just thank you for being so blessed to live in a community where there's more than one church that's following you and living for you and um, teaching your word. God, help us not to be petty. Help us to see who the real enemy is and to unite together. Um, under the cross of Christ, under the word of God, under the gospel. Help us to be united and show others that we are Christians because we love one another. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.